and welcome to Very Amusing, your one-stop shop for the stories, secrets, and shenanigans of a popcorn-fueled theme park journalist. I'm Carly Weisel, and happy early Thanksgiving! By the time you are listening to this, my family will have already been in town for a few days. We're doing a bunch of stuff to celebrate my mom's birthday, which was earlier in this week. And her gift is that we are doing a full family photo shoot, which, let's just say, it's going to be a vibe. I now own cream-colored pants that I pray I do not dribble and ice not bet latte down the front of them, even though history is about to repeat itself. And we have some other really fun stuff planned, which should be great. It's just going to be nice to have everyone together. I'm pretty sure I usually take this week off the podcast, but I did not this year because I wanted to make sure y'all had something to listen to on the plane, the train, the bus, the car, the scooter, or whatever you are taking to meet with family and friends, or if you're staying home and taking the day to rest and need something to listen to, or if you are working today, tonight, or tomorrow on one of the biggest shopping days of the year. I wish you all a very, very happy holiday. And be sure to eat an extra helping of stuffing for me because, oh my God, I love stuffing. And mac and cheese. Mac and cheese was not a staple at our Thanksgiving growing up, and I I inserted it in last year and this year, and it's bound to stay. And cream spinach, also good. Okay, I'm not going to talk about food. I'm not even cooking this year because uh, I have a child. (laughs) So my own little turkey takes up too much time for me to make my own turkey. But we are picking up food from local businesses. Uh, We're also getting pies from this incredible pie shop in LA, Fat and Flour, who makes the best key lime pie. They serve it at this place, Found Oyster, this fantastic seafood spot in LA. But Nicole, who runs Fat and Flour, is also making other holiday pies. And we decided to get the spiced, was it spiced pumpkin caramel? pie, spiced pumpkin caramel pie, and it, I, I I might have it first. I'm so excited. I just smacked the microphone if you heard that. I might have to have it before the real food because uh, it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. Nicole's also selling homemade red lobster cheddar bay biscuits. So yeah, we're going to have a ball for Thanksgiving. But here, back in podcast land, we are continuing our travel advice series and focusing this week on the international Disney parks. And let me, let me just address it at the top. Y'all really saw me promise that I'd do big sweeping guides to the Asia parks and you have pressed me on it. You keep me humble. I promise they are coming. But I do hope that this week's episode with tips for Paris, Shanghai, Hong Kong, and Tokyo tides you over until then because I promise they are coming and I want to make them and I will making them. I, I will make them. I mean, I love doing guides. But the truth is, I thought doing them in audio format would be easier. And the answer is, whoopsie daisies, they are not. Writing not easy, audio harder. (laughs) So it is something I will bring to you. We're getting there. I promise. It's just, it's just a little trickier. It's on next year's to-do list. It is coming. But until then, this week, we are tackling those international travel questions you got. And as a reminder that this week, like every week, because it is a holiday season, we are bringing you a family-friendly podcast. So if you need something to occupy the time while driving your sister's new girlfriend to Starbucks for their first peppermint mocha of the season, or spending their day in the kitchen cooking and teaching your nephew to prepare a salad that nobody's going to eat, Very Amusing can be played loudly and proudly wherever you are. So if you want to know my travel tips for Shanghai Disney Resort or what you can't leave Tokyo Disneyland without doing, believe it or not, I will be saying all that, including kind words about Disneyland Paris' food offerings. Believe it. Stick around for all of that and more because this week we're tackling part two of your travel questions answered. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Carly. This is Erin from Illinois. It's a bit of a last-minute phone call, but I had some questions about Disneyland Paris. We are planning on going in early December. We're staying at the Hotel Cheyenne, and so far I've read and heard mostly negative things about the food at Disneyland Paris. So I was wondering if you would be able to offer some specific food suggestions, um, whether it's meals, snacks, drinks, whatever, in the park, in the hotels, um, in Disney Village, just anything specific. Uh, my second question sort of ties in with that one is, since we're planning last minute, most of the tables inside the parks are uh, booked up. So my question is, if I show up at a restaurant, is it possible to get a table as a walk-up, or do they um, book all their tables through reservations? And then my third question is, oh, it ties into your unconventional souvenirs. Um, episode, which I really, really loved. Uh, I know you mentioned the ornaments at Disneyland Paris, but do you have any other suggestions of maybe where to look or something to look for as far as unique items at Disneyland Paris, um, whether it be unconventional or a little more conventional? Either way, just anything I should be keeping my eye out for, maybe. All right. Well, I hope you and Pearl and the family are doing well. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Erin from my home state. Hello. Your call made me realize that perhaps I'm being pretty tough on the old girl. Yes, Disneyland Paris does not have the same level of snacks and treats and overwhelmingly delicious and easily accessible food as our parks back home in America. In my experience, that is. But it can be challenging to find a snack there at times because... In my experience, again, there haven't been as many snack stands and options as other parks. And when you do find a snack, it's just kind of okay. But really, I think that comes down to that we are spoiled with our home parks. America's parks, America's parks, offer so much to eat. And we're just very, very lucky. But there are good things to eat at Disneyland Paris. And I'm going to outline my recommendations to you across the resort. I dug deep for you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm being dramatic. But still, it is. The real honest truth is that I've been to Disneyland Paris so often, I can't even remember how many times I've been. And I've visited these parks twice in the past three years, which is pretty frequent if you ask me. However, both visits were during pandemic protocols. So buffets were not in operation, food was served tableside, and the experience was just different. So I thought, well, why don't I go back, do the research, and look at all the menus and the snack stands and see if there's anything that's changed since my most recent trip that I can recommend to you. And oh my Lord, have they, have things changed. I'm not kidding. This is not a joke. I'm, this is like, I'm not, I'm not trolling myself in the past. Disneyland Paris in about the past year has introduced and reintroduced so much stuff that I'm actively looking forward to eating here again. Words you never thought I'd say, and yet I am saying them. You probably know that the two most discussed restaurants are Bistro Chez Remy, the Ratatouille restaurant, which I'm pretty sure I mispronounced. That applies to all French words that will be coming in this segment. And Waltz, which is on Main Street, which is the famous one that was also just recently featured in Behind the Attraction. I talk about this all the time. I went to Waltz. I had a $58 cheeseburger. It came with nine fries. Do what you want with that information. As for your question about tables being booked and being curious about walk-up reservations, I personally did not know, but I found you the answer. I reached out to the source on this, YouTuber Sam for God. I am a gigantic fan of hers. I cannot even, I cannot even stress how big of a fan I am. She's like one of the only YouTubers I actually repeatedly watch. And naturally, she had the correct answer. So Samar said that as far as she knows, all restaurants reserve some sort of walk-up space. Of course, the bigger your group, the more difficult it can be to get a spot. Her recommendation would be to get to whatever restaurant you want to go to as soon as it opens. Most open at 11 for lunch or 6 p.m. for dinner. And be sure to check the app continuously, as sometimes, she says, restaurants can weirdly become available closer to that time. She's noticed that a lot with Waltz and Chez Remy specifically, so definitely check that out if you want to eat there. As a last resort, she also recommends checking City Hall on the day of your visit for any last-minute cancellations for restaurants you're interested in. Thank you, Sam. Incredible advice. But we got to talk about one other place that Sam recently made a video of. Restaurant Agraba Cafe. Now, this Moroccan-inspired place is somewhere I went on a recent trip when it was table service instead of buffet. And it was edible. That's all I'm going to say. It was fine. However, 
Sam posted this really good video from there after their recent reopening, and it knocked my socks off because the food on the buffet that she posted is nothing like what we had. It looks, I, can't, I don't even know, I don't know how to scream this loud enough. It looks unreal. There's quinoa and vegetables and lentils and chickpeas and Moroccan carrots and a selection of multiple hummuses. Oh my Lord, I cannot believe how good it looks. I would beeline here if I were you and I plan to on my next visit. If this was a restaurant in Los Angeles, I'd be eating there three times a week. No joke. Same for Pim Kitchen. This opened as part of Avengers Campus last year, which I have not yet seen. It opened after my most recent visit. And it is also a buffet restaurant, unlike the quick service version at Disney California Adventure. It's on theme. They've got mini kids burgers and huge croutons in the salad and dressing in beakers, which is a very cute touch, a gigantic pretzel sandwich, and then a huge burger that they slice pieces off of for you. But most importantly, the food looks good. It looks good and there are options. I would absolutely eat here on my next trip and would honestly probably prioritize it. That said, <laughs> it's not without its quirks. They casually have a rabbit and hazelnut pie on the buffet, hummus with some sort of tortilla chip in it. And then they just have a huge bowl. I'm talking huge, huge bowl, like, like the type you'd use in a cafeteria in an elementary school. A huge bowl full of prawns, full of prawns, next to blue mayonnaise. I don't know, man. I'm trying to stay positive here. I'm trying to praise old Disneyland Paris, but they got a, they got a big bowl of blue mayonnaise and huge prawns. I don't know what's going on there. However, this place, like Agrabah, also has lots of salads, and you know I love to eat a vegetable when I'm traveling, so I consider that a win. Now, because you said your trip is in early December, I actually went two years ago around that time, and I really enjoyed it. You will encounter this little pop-up Christmas market in the Ratatouille-themed area at Walt Disney Studios Park. There, you can find a handful of fun holiday-centric treats and hot mold wine and things like that, and it's really nice, so do not snooze on that when the sun goes down. For other recommendations, quick service out here is still, is still pretty rough. I'm not going to lie to you. I've eaten a burger, not loved it. Quick service, not the best. But I also researched current Disneyland Paris snacks, and there are way better snacks than any time I've ever visited. Ever, ever, ever. I remember on one visit, finding a stand selling clementines. And I was like, wow, mama's eating good tonight. No, it is so far beyond what it used to be. At March Hair Refreshments, there's vanilla soft serve with caramel popcorn on top. What? The old mill in Fantasyland. Get ready for this. They have fried cheese balls and mini Dutch pancakes. And then there's a cone of chicken nuggets at, oh, pardon my French, Cafe de la Bruce, de la Bruce? I don't know how to say it, but all you need to know is that they sell a cone of chicken nuggets. Are you kidding me? That sounds amazing. There's also cups of ramen at the web truck at Avengers Campus. But for snacks I have had, even though I'm dreaming of those fried cheese bowls and I've never had those, they didn't have them when I was there. Uh, for snacks I have had and enjoyed, there is always some sort of biscuit or cookie. Uh, right now, I looked into it and you can find shortbread shaped like Elsa and I believe Grogu. I had one that I think was Jesse from Toy Story and Groot, but it's just like a shortbread biscuity cookie situation. Crepes are a must at Disneyland Paris. They're divine and especially in cold weather. Mm, they're so warm and yummy. There are Magnum ice cream bars everywhere. I had a great frozen margarita at Casa de Coco in Adventureland, just putting that out there. And at Walt Disney Studios, you simply cannot forget the somewhat cursed yet intriguing Crook McQueen, a little grilled ham and cheese sandwich at the Laughing Cow-sponsored Cars-themed cart. It, it, listen, I couldn't commit. I ate too many Laughing Cows when I was in high school. I probably had like six a day, so I couldn't do it. But if you do have it, please report back. I think that is everything about food. But in my tooling around on the website, I did want to mention, uh, I learned two things about Hotel Cheyenne, where you are staying. One, you have an on-site Starbucks, which I would absolutely lean into. And two, you can take a pony ride. You can take a pony ride. Oh my gosh. Please text me a photo at 747 Jersey if you do it. Please, I beg of you. A pony ride. Oh, you also asked about unique souvenirs. Okay, so on my last two visits, I found the merchandise to be increasingly similar to America's, which is why I loved the ornaments specifically. They had their stunning castle in the center, which was cool. But, 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 you are going in December, and a fair amount of stuff could be sold out by the time you get there. However, Christmas stuff will also say, oh boy, more French words, Schwan, Schwau Noel. <laughs> Listen, if you're me and you're American, you'd say Joyux Noel. You know what I'm saying. 
<laughs> which is unique to there and special. So even something with that on it could be a fun souvenir. The most unique items I've found resort-wide have been at the Disney Fashion Store at Disney Village, their version of Downtown Disney. But I would also swing by the Boardwalk Candy Palace on Main Street. I found some stuff in the bakery case there that I didn't see elsewhere for me, but also got sweets for family and friends. I actually, years and years and years ago, probably six or seven years ago, I went there and I got these packaged marshmallow wands of Mickey and Minnie that look exactly like them, and I thought they were cute. So I put them in a cup and I put them on a shelf. And now, half a decade later, they're still on display and they're impeccable. It's frightening. (laughs) I don't know what was in them, but they look perfect. So you never know what you'll find there. I've also, real quick, had some luck finding unique items in Frontierland. I've gotten uh, like a Western Mickey-themed thing for my nephew, and I've never seen that stateside, that specific one. But also, I think I mentioned this in the souvenir episode, don't miss the upsell gift with purchase. You know, the spend 50, get this for seven situation. I never buy those in America. I usually think they're ugly, but I've purchased them here, and they've been really good. If you have any other questions, let me know. That should be everything. And have so much fun on your trip. Hey, Carly, this is Jesse uh, calling from Chicago. I am getting this one in kind of under the wire. I am going to Disneyland Paris in a little under a month. I have one day at the end of my trip to Paris planning to do both parks. And I just would love any any hot tips. I've listened to your trip to Paris episode. I know food is not iconic there and definitely heard your tips on the last episode about bringing stuff in. But anything else? Um, that you could share about just seeing both parks in one day, um, thoughts on crowd levels and if Premier Access is worth it in early December, and um, just yeah, anything anything you might uh, have of note, I would love to I would love to hear. Also, I will be using I have mobility disability, so I will be using an electric scooter. And um, if you happen to know anything about what disability access is like there. Um, just in terms of getting around the parks and accessibility, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. And congrats on Baby Pearl. So, Jesse, let me get this straight. You're from Chicago. You're going to Disneyland Paris. You're also going in a month. If you are not going with the last caller, I hope you run into each other because that would be a true, joyful, Midwestern, very amusing miracle. Now, when it comes to tips and crowds and everything you're wondering, I got you. To catch everyone up, Disneyland Paris, like other international parks, has their own version of quote-unquote paid fast pass. Here in America, it's Genie Plus and Individual Lightning Lane. There it is Disney Premier Access Ultimate and Disney Premier Access One. Just as confusing overseas. Gotta love it. Premier Access Ultimate is like our Genie Plus, but honestly more like a VIP tour guide without the guide. It's priced way higher, around or more than the cost of a theme park ticket, depending on the day, and operates as an all-access pass to all eligible rides. It's basically like a punch card. There are no specific return times. You just board a bunch of attractions whenever you wish. Conversely, there is Premier Access 1, which is kind of like Lightning Lane. You buy it when you enter the park, it works on individual rides, and you can pick and choose what you want. We'll get into can't-miss rides in a moment, but my approach to one-and-done paid FastPass access in rides in different countries is to do it. You're here for a limited amount of time. Coming all the way back is going to cost so much more than just spending 12 15 20 bucks to skip the line and save time. If you're local, these products are annoying and <laughs> kind of expensive. On a luxurious long Walt Disney World vacation where you have multiple days in the parks and will probably be back at another time in your life if you're listening to this podcast, the upsell day after day really does add up. But on a foreign trip, when you only have a day to see it all, I would absolutely pay to enter the things that are a priority to you. And if you're still not convinced, Let me tell you this. When I was at Tokyo Disneyland a few weeks ago, I remember thinking, "Eh, I don't know, is it worth it? Is it worth it to buy another pass to go on a ride? And then I remembered, until recently, these parks were closed, closed, completely shut down. There was a time in recent memory, very recently, that we couldn't even get through the gates. We couldn't even get to Japan for years. All of Japan, all of it. Flights are so expensive now. I was only able to go on my trip because of miles. Things cost so much more. And I'm sure it's some sort of coping mechanism to forget everything that happened during the deep pandemic. But you're going. You're going to be in Paris. You have one 
day. And if spending an extra 20 bucks here and there actually allows you to see everything you want to see at the parks, do it. And save for that very pricey all-access one, it is cheaper than buying a ticket to go back a second day. So I say lean in and completely do as much as you want to do while you're there. As for what you should do, my general Disneyland Paris tips, here, here's an assorted handful of them. Big Thunder Mountain Railroad is very different here and an absolute must-do. Crush's Coaster is as well, but... It gets a lot of hype for what is essentially, I'm sorry, a mechanism you can find elsewhere. I mean, it is. It's a ride you can find elsewhere. It's fun. It's more fun with the theming. But the truth is, now that we have Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm not sure if it's as uniquely exciting. Because Epcot's, not to get too into it, we have a whole episode about that coaster. We don't have to do it. But Epcot's rotating ride vehicles are way more superior to these. It's more advanced, and it's a more fun, robust, longer ride. So Crush's Coaster has always been a favorite, but now it's kind of like, it's great, but I don't think it's the best coaster ever made. If you can get on it, get on it. Absolutely, it is so much fun. But if you miss it because it's hard to get on because of the lines or it shuts down, I don't think you blew your trip at all. It's fun, though. If you can get on it, get on it. Get on it. Get on it. Phantom Manor is essential. It's basically their twist on the Haunted Mansion, but be sure to read up on the backstory before you board. People do not say this or recommend it enough. It has this lengthy tale behind it that is a little different than ours, and you'll really want to know the gist of it before you see those scenes firsthand, because otherwise it genuinely might not make a lot of sense by the end. I don't want to spoil it, but... It's different and it might be confusing. Also, it's a, a little scary. So if you have any little kids with you, just be warned. We also got to talk about the coasters, specifically the roller coasters with inversions there, the ones that go upside down because they are a rough ride. If you have a neck or back problem or just do not enjoy being jostled around, skip them. Skip them from the get-go. When I first learned that Space Mountain goes upside down there, I thought, cool, right? One of my all-time faves with even more thrills, I simply cannot leave without doing it. Only I will never go back on because I hit my head so badly on the restraint that I cried. I cried because I was in so much pain. I've mentioned that here before, I am sure, but I just need to emphasize it because this is my favorite thing to do in the world. Visit a foreign Disney theme park and I cannot go on what is the version of one of my favorite rides there. So heed my warning and I guess pack Advil if you do want to go on them. Also related, utilize single rider lines if you can. They are offered on Crush's Coaster, Ratatouille, and Star Wars Hyperspace Mountain, if you dare. Note though, <laughs> that, okay, this is embarrassing. It's an embarrassing admission. But I've tried to get on the Crusher's Coaster single rider line before, and they closed the queue because it got too long. But my mom's very hot friend somehow talked her way in. I'm hands off on that one. I don't know what that life is like. <laughs> but if it was just me, I would not have gotten in the single rider queue. She somehow got us in, and it still went way faster than the regular line. So do what you will with that knowledge. Also, on your trip, stay as late as you can. Nighttime entertainment at Disneyland Paris is really becoming a must-see in a global sense. They're not only using drones, but in the forthcoming show that opens in early January, they're going to have drones with pyro? I truly can't even... My brain doesn't understand what that means. I don't know what that means. Again, check before your trip to see what is on offer and the timing and the weather, etc., etc. But wow, that is going to be one you cannot miss. Other stuff at Disneyland Paris, um, they now have mobile order, a version of mobile order, which is awesome. Do not miss the lower walkthrough of Sleeping Beauty Castle. That's all I'm going to say. I don't want to ruin it. And also, people talk a lot about the Alice in Wonderland Labyrinth, but not enough about the absolutely stunning pirate-themed walkthrough area in their Adventureland. Grab a crepe, grab a soda, and wander around there because it's heaven. It's heaven. It's truly, truly heaven. Also, I'm just realizing I recommended Nighttime Entertainment for January. You're there in December. Just see what they have in December. But if anyone's listening is going there later, check out those fiery drones. And last but not least, uh, if you, if anyone else is planning a future trip to Disneyland Paris and wanting to stay in their hotels, there's this old hack that should still work. Um, consider booking with a VPN. In my experience over the years, booking a Disneyland Paris hotel from America has always cost more than booking it from overseas. So play around with currency and VPNs and location and things like that to see if you can net a lower rate. I haven't booked a hotel there in a minute, so I'm not sure if it still stands, but heads up, just wanted to throw that out there. 
As for mobility, disability, and using a scooter, yes, I have something for you. Sam, who we just mentioned, did a video on this breaking down the two kinds of access passes that are offered at Disneyland Paris with one of her viewers who uses one of them. I will put a link to that fantastic video in my show notes, but also look through the comments because they seem to be really worthwhile and worth checking out. Have the best time at Disneyland Paris. Okay, you know that feeling that everyone knows something that you don't? For me, that used to be Quince, but no more. Quince is a truly astounding retailer, essentially carrying everything a person on your mood board would wear. We're talking washable silk blouses, chic leather bags, 14 karat gold jewelry, European linen dresses, and the best part of all is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They're up here with $50 Mongolian cashmere sweaters. $50! Beautiful, timeless items you can wear and actually live in. Meaning, you don't have to be scared to bring them on your theme park travels. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And if you're sensitive to retailers like I am, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. But it's not just your everyday work-life clothes. They have everything. I recently joined a new gym, big deal for me, and desperately needed new workout clothes to wear there. It's kind of like an LA gym. It's like it kind of got to look cute. So I ordered a pair of their Ultraform bike shorts and high-rise pocket leggings. And when I tell you, the quality of these leggings is truly on par with brands I paid three times as much for, which really kind of makes me love these three times more. I'm not only going to buy them again, but actually buy the other travel stuff in my cart because they have things like beautiful pastel suitcases for 129 bucks and these wildly affordable compression packing cubes that I have been waiting forever to buy compression packing cubes and they're always so pricey and here the price fits. So if you want to get ready for work, your new gym, travel, anything in your life, go to Quince. Quince.com slash amusing will get you free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Ooh, that's nice for someone who puts stuff off like I do. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash amusing to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash amusing. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Carly, this is Rachel, and I'm calling because I and my husband are trying to plan a trip to China for next year to visit both Hong Kong and Shanghai, among some other cities in China, but obviously the main reason that we want to go is to go to the Disney theme parks out there, and I am just lost for, like, where to even begin planning these trips. I am desperate for any sort of advice, and I know that you've been kind of planning on releasing theme park guides for all the international parks at some point. So I just wanted to put it out there and say, please, please help the sister out, and uh, can you release some episodes? In the next, uh, I don't know, four or five months, giving some guides and tips and tricks to uh, to the China parks because I just would love that. And I think there are other people that would really benefit from that, too. So, anyways, 
Really looking forward to those. Love the podcast. You are my go-to girly for theme park news and tips and everything. So I really appreciate it. And I am looking forward to hearing your future episodes. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Rachel. So if you are planning to go to both Hong Kong and Shanghai, your first step is going to be to plan out your days in line with all the visa stuff. That is step one. You can essentially visit China one of two ways. You can get a proper travel visa and explore the mainland or utilize their 144-hour visa-free visit, which lets you explore certain cities, including Shanghai and Shanghai Disney Resort, without dealing with the rigmarole of getting a proper visa. I have gotten a visa twice, and in my experience, getting an actual travel visa for China is really just a bureaucratic pain in the tush, as getting any official document ever is. And I happen to live in one of the few American cities with a consulate, so it was even easier for me than other people. It was basically like spending two days at the DMV. It was annoying. So if you're only planning to visit Shanghai, I recommend you go the 144-hour route and not get a visa at all. Do further research, though. There are a lot of threads of people discussing it on Reddit, actually, and that would probably be more helpful than the third-party visa websites that pop up first that I was going to send you to. But essentially, you need to prove you're flying into Shanghai and flying out to another place, so be sure to factor that in while planning. Hence, step one. The second thing I'll flag is that you should make sure to do this planning of this trip with up-to-date resources, specifically for the Disney theme parks. Why? Well, because the end of this year, right now, brings two major openings to these parks, with a Frozen-themed land in Hong Kong Disneyland, which just opened, and a Zootopia land at Shanghai Disneyland, which is opening next month. You will want to be specific about how you navigate these places and how you plan your day, especially in terms of getting into these new lands with priority access or virtual queues or whatever they're using at the moment. So older guides and guidance may not include any of that. As of this moment, you can purchase early park entry to get into Hong Kong Disneyland and its World of Frozen Land an hour before the park opens for about 25 bucks, which is awesome. That will get you early access to Frozen Ever After or Wandering Oaken's Sliding Sleigh. That's that's the name, Sliding Sleigh? Yeah, that's the name. <laughs> I had to go back in my brain. Uh, that'll get you access early. And I can't seem to yet find details about Zootopia Land for Shanghai, but it'll probably be announced like this week or next week, so stay tuned. That land opened in December, so it should come out soon, but just be sure to check the latest operating procedures at both parks when you're planning to suss out how long you'll need at each. As for seeing the parks in the cities, I would probably budget more time for Shanghai than Hong Kong, both for the city and the parks. There is so much to see everywhere, but Shanghai Disney Resort is massive. And Hong Kong Disneyland is closed on Wednesdays. So <laughs> when you're comparing the two, you kind of see what I mean. That said, I found Hong Kong Disneyland on my visit to be quaint and wonderful and truly more like Disneyland than any other park worldwide. And I was so charmed by it. So definitely visit both because they're great. You also don't have to stay at hotels on property for either. You can get there very easily using transit. I've done it in each city. But I do think the Hong Kong Disneyland hotels are particularly cute. And if I was going, I would want to stay there. I've also used discount website Kluk, which I think I've mentioned before, to save on Hong Kong Disneyland admission. And I know, I know, I know I need to make a Shanghai guide for you. I know. I'm so sorry. I haven't done it yet, but I am getting to it. I promise. The problem is, and this is the reason why I haven't done it, is because I've been to every Disney park worldwide, most of them multiple times, but the pandemic changed everything. So all the info I had squirreled away and organized and like ready to go after my little visit to Shanghai Disneyland on December 30th, 2019 is ancient and old and in dire need of fact checking, even though it was up to date and then immediately was out of date about three weeks later. I will update my former trips and tips and tricks and guides and things and advice and things like that. But it's going to take a little more time because there's so much happening elsewhere and I've been caught up with stuff happening stateside. But stay tuned. Stay tuned because I do have some good news. We will probably have more on these parks very soon here at Very Amusing. So just stay tuned. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Keep, 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 keep listening. Stay tuned. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, I got to go before I spoil the secret. Bye. Hi, it's James, long-time listener, love your show, and I was very excited to see an episode on Disneyland, Disney Sea and Disneyland, but very excited to see your episode on Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea. And uh, the question I have is, is if you only have seven to ten days to take your youngest to Tokyo for a grad trip as a massive Disney fan, and you got to go to 
see Tokyo Disney Sea because you, you haven't lived until you've seen it. What do you recommend in terms of number of days in the park, number of days of touring Tokyo, and maybe one little trip outside of Tokyo? Interested in any thoughts you have in your planning episode? Thanks. Bye. Hi, you have such a radio voice. Like, I kind of feel like you should take over my job. Truly, wow, blown away. Anyway, I am so excited for you and your daughter. Seven to 10 days is a total sweet spot. I would actually push towards 10 because if you do seven, you're not going to want to leave and you'll be like, we should have done an extra day. We should have done an extra two days. So stay as long as you can. Now, the problem with visiting Tokyo is that the city itself is as exciting and unique and awe-inspiring as the parks are. It's all heaven. Everything is worth seeing everywhere. So it's really hard to decide how to spend your time. But in a way, conversely, that means you won't make the wrong decision, whichever way you choose. So you'll have fun across the board no matter which way it shakes out. If I was planning this trip, I would say four to five days in Tokyo two to three days at Tokyo Disney Resort, and a two-day trip to another city. Real travelers will balk at me, only annexing 48 hours to a second city. But there's, I don't know, like, anyone who is a Disney adult, which is most people listening, hello to my peers, knows that people judge us for traveling the world and Epcot and spending our vacation time going to theme parks over and over and over. But as I've probably mentioned 4,000 times on this podcast, (laughs) experiencing Tokyo Disneyland is experiencing Japanese culture, and especially a form of the culture you cannot really find anywhere else in the city. So if you are inclined to spend a boatload of your vacation time at these parks, do it. Do it. Don't let people judge you. And go see other stuff because there's so much stuff to see, but do it. That's why I think you should break down like four to five in Tokyo, two to three at the resort, and a two-day other trip. However, that does not apply if you are overwhelmed by cities and prefer a calmer vacation out of the hustle and bustle. Since you are huge Disney fans, which you mentioned, in that case, I would do less time in Tokyo and more time in the parks and traveling. Maybe three, four days in Tokyo, including a travel day, three full days at the parks, and three days in another location. As for those side trips... So I personally have been to Kyoto, Osaka, and Naoshima, which is essentially an art island. It is one of the coolest places I've ever been. But if you're not a modern art freak like me who wants to spend an entire day traveling by, what was it, train, boat, bus, and there was some other form of transportation in there, to the middle of nowhere, I'd recommend a two-day trip to Kyoto, which has a lot of fantastic sights, is a nice, nature-filled, picturesque, and significant complement to the city and the parks. And one more thing. You gotta tell your daughter that your favorite podcaster, I'm assigning myself that title, says you have a cool parent who is planning the coolest trip for them, and they are very, very lucky. Your daughter is so lucky, this is gonna be so much fun. Holler back if you have any other questions, and stay tuned for a Tokyo Guide next year, which I promise is coming! It's coming. You're gonna have so much fun. Ah, book the trip. Wow, so much fun. Okay, bye. Hi, Carly. This is Beth from New Jersey. I hope you're doing well today. I have a long-awaited trip to Tokyo Disney scheduled for late June next year with my husband and two teenage daughters. We are staying at the Hilton Tokyo Bay for nine nights, but looking to change two of those nights to Miracosta by booking a vacation package when the time comes up for booking. I've literally been planning this trip for five years, thanks to covid Uh, So I feel pretty prepared. I know it will be hot, maybe rainy in the summer, but with two kids in high school, this is basically the only week we could take vacation. Anywho, we will have five days dedicated to the parks, with all things Duffy being our main priority. But we are going to want to do everything in the parks. That said, I know we can't do everything. What few things would you recommend that my family, who is a Disney World veteran family, must do on our first trip to a non-U.S. Disney park. Also want to say I follow TDR Explorer and I've learned so much from him, but I really appreciate your perspective as someone who is maybe a little bit more of a fellow tourist. Uh, Thank you so much. And I look forward to listening to the podcast. Hi, Beth. Congratulations on planning your trip to Tokyo. Yes, it'll be hot, but I get it. You gotta go when you when you can go. And with five years of planning, oh my gosh, I am so excited for all of that hard work to finally pay off. First things first, the vacation package. 
For anyone listening, this is an offering through the resort that gives you little presents and some snack vouchers and attraction entry tickets and park admission and your hotel room and all of that kind of rolled up into one. I booked one of these. I booked a vacation package in 2019 and my husband grumbled about the price because it was expensive. But we got to stay in Hotel Miracosta and we got attraction tickets and it made our lives so much easier. However, Tokyo Disney Resort is much easier to navigate now than it was in 2019. So I would just look into it and make sure that a vacation package is what you want to do because there are ways to more easily get on the rides without needing those exclusive attraction tickets they gave me. And with nine days to choose from, you might actually be able to pounce on a hotel room more easily than we, who only really had one or two specific nights available, did. Now, Duffy being your priority is my default, so I gotcha. Tokyo Disney Sea is going to be your spot because Disney Sea is the only park you will find Duffy and friends in at this resort. They are not even located in Tokyo Disneyland. You will not find merchandise for them there. So everything is saved for, I believe, a few hotel gift shop items, I think, if my memory serves me right from shopping all of those across the hotels, is in Tokyo Disney Sea. You'll see plenty of guests carrying their stuffed creatures face out, putting them in little photo ops to take photos of them. Sometimes you'll even see little kids dressed as Duffy. It's glorious just to be there. You can meet Duffy and Shelly Mae face-to-face. Duffy is located in a Mexico-themed meet-and-greet and has been for some time now. It's a little odd, but it is what it is. Shelly Mae is in regular pink clothing. But you can see them from afar in daytime and nighttime shows on Mediterranean Harbor, but also at Cape Cod Cook-Off. So here's the deal. For a while, you would go to Cape Cod Cook-Off, this like quick-service restaurant, get whatever meal you wanted, and sit down and eat it while the Duffy show was performed. It was Pretty awesome and a fun little surprise while having lunch. They recently retooled the show, though, and it's now a sit-down advanced booking setup. Reservations are required. It has a schedule throughout the day. But most importantly, the gang is part of the show. The full gang. We're talking Shelly Mae, Gelatoni, Stella Lou, Lena Bell, Cookie Ann, Duffy, and yes, Olu Mal. Oh my God, did I remember all of them? That's all of them. If I'm forgetting one? Oh, whoopsie daisy. Duffy, yeah, yeah, I got them all. Wow, I really love these guys. Uh, You'll see all of them on stage, so you'll want to grab a reservation for that. The show is called Duffy and Friends' Wonderful Friendship, and I will put a link in the show notes that you can watch a YouTube video of it. But it is all in Japanese, so just be warned. Seeing them all on stage is so wild and magical that you should do it just because if you can, if you have time, if you can do it, you got to see them. And oh, also at Cape Cod, when you check out, they have additional Duffy themed stuff for sale that you can really only find there. So do not miss out on that. I have a little miniature version of a Duffy popcorn container, which there are Duffy popcorn containers, duh, that might be for sale. That's of a seasonal, you never know. But I have a miniature version of one. They sold like little candy M&Ms in. So I love it. I love it. Sorry, if you heard a noise in the distance, it was Morty trying to scratch down my office door. Uh, He heard me talking about another fluffy thing that I love, and naturally he wanted to be part of the party. Anyway, back to Duffy. So as for merchandise, the main Duffy store is in Cape Cod, but the gang has essentially overtaken the Scrooge McDuck-themed department store towards the front of the park in the American waterfront section. I would hit up both of those because they will have different items. The Scrooge McDuck store is just so much bigger, so there's just going to be a higher quantity of items. I found stuff there I didn't see in Cape Cod, so just keep that in mind. And as for your more general question about what I recommend you do not miss on your first trip to a non-U.S. Disney park, I'm just going to blab a bunch of stuff at you and give you a hit list. The rides people won't stop talking about at Tokyo Disney Resort are worth it. They are magical for a reason, and they live up to the hype. Eat a Mickey waffle, eat a potato churro, eat a sea salt ice cream sandwich, and try at least one popcorn flavor that you find intriguing. Explore Disneyland's Main Street, especially the arcade, because it's the most unique area like that you'll ever find. Prioritize their version of Soarin' over their version of Toy Story Mania. Take extra time in the exit queue of Tower of Terror to appreciate the design and the details because they're fantastic. Ride Sinbad's Storybook Voyage if you like dark rides. Big Band Beat is worth the scheduling headache of getting inside, even if you have to wait standby. Buy Premier Access to Journey to the Center of the Earth because I find the queue to be very, very dark and depressing, and I would rather wait outside at something like Pooh's Honey Hunt than there, which is dark and cavernous. Wear comfortable shoes. These parks are gigantic. Bring cash 
for the monorail ticket. If you've listened to the Tokyo recap episode, you know what I mean. And most importantly, and rather hypocritically, identify what matters most to you and your family. I am someone who does this. I will get caught up with everything I'm supposed to do, all the stuff I want to see, and I feel like I've really found a great method for coping with that. The way I organize my foreign days in the park, and I probably should have discussed this before, is that I break everything out into a list on my phone. We're talking rides, sites I want to see, stores to visit, food. It's all in there, just plopped in there. And that way, I know what to prioritize when I'm on the go. It's all written out in a doc. I have a few things I must do, a slush pile of things I hope to do, and then some extra things on the bottom I'll do if I have time. I do it in my phone on notes, and I do the little checklist function so you can push the circle to get a little, you know, to be like, oop, task is done if you do it. So by prioritizing in that way, from there, I'm able to really easily see what is most important to me so I don't leave disappointed, especially in Tokyo. Everything is a treat there. Simply speed walking to a return time on a ride is overwhelmingly scenic. So breaking it down in advance and updating it on the go with my schedule, with all of my return times in that dock, with when I can book something else, is really, really helpful and really allows you to parse out what is most important and essential to you, even while in the middle of juggling rides and schedules and a foreign language and an app and currency and jet lag and things like that. I hope that's helpful. I hope you have the best time in Tokyo and have so much fun. Hi, Carly. Um, This is Amber from um, Southern California. I'm a Disneyland Magic Key holder and I've made a few trips to Walt Disney World. I have a friend who's also originally from California, goes to um, Disneyland with me. We've had Disneyland trips together many times, but she's currently living in Hong Kong. And while she's in Hong Kong, we're looking to meet up from um, in June to do uh, Tokyo and hopefully do Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea. This will be my first time to Asia, first time to an international park, and it's my first time planning an international trip on my own. All of my previous international trips have been in large groups where the planning was done for me and I just had to show up. So any suggestions, any tips you have about planning the trip, any traveling internationally, things to do in Tokyo, tips for Tokyo Disneyland would be greatly appreciated. But specifically, I am a vegetarian and I am concerned about my food options in Tokyo, but especially the parks. I don't eat fish. I do eat dairy and eggs. And I have a low spice tolerance. Um, for reference, I can generally do a Thai yellow curry if I ask them to, as long as I ask them to make it mild. And I can do the Ronto less wrap at Disneyland and Galaxy's Edge. Sometimes it does push my limit a little bit if they have a lot of sauce on it, but generally speaking, I can eat it. So any suggestions you have will be greatly appreciated. And thank you for all this hard work that you do to answer all of our all of our questions. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Hi, Amber. How exciting that you are meeting your friend in Tokyo to go to the parks together. That is incredible. When I visited Japan last month, I actually stayed with my friend, Rachel, who works at WDI and has been living in Japan for a few years now. And Rachel does not eat meat. So I reached out to her and asked her for some of her faves, which I am going to share with you. Rachel recommended the Korean plant-based meat bowl at Plasma Plasma Ray's Diner in Tokyo Disneyland. Uh, There's an egg on there too, so you can have that for extra protein. She says Hungry Bear in Tokyo Disneyland has a low allergen vegetable curry. And by the way, their curry is a brown sauce, so it might be different from the Thai one that you mentioned, but I still think you'd be okay with the level of spice on that. The vegetarian curry at Casba Food Court in Tokyo Disney Sea is another good recommendation from her. And she says more delicious than the low allergy option at other locations. Good intel. And she also said that, oh boy, Italian words coming up. Restaurante di Canaletto and Zambini Brothers have pizza that you can have as well. In my own experience at the resort, I've also spotted a vegetarian Baymax curry on this center house coffee Center House Coffee House. That's that's the name. I fact checked it. Center House Coffee House. Feels like it should be coffee shop. Anyway, uh, they have a vegetarian Baymax curry on the menu, which isn't on the online menu, but was there in person. So be sure to inquire wherever you wind up. I also remember seeing a grilled cheese sandwich at Gaston's Tavern. I'm like 90% sure that doesn't have meat in it. Uh, I looked at the photo after to make sure, but still, that would be a good option for you. 
I speaking of, I recommend browsing the menus in advance from home because while they're all in Japanese, they have photos, which is massively helpful to kind of gauge what might be a good fit for you. Uh, you can translate them in Google Chrome pretty easily, and they help you get really excited for your trip, speaking from personal experience. I believe I covered most of my park recommendations in the previous call and in the recent Tokyo Disney episode, but I'm just going to come out and say it. I think you should go to Tokyo and Hong Kong, either on the way there or on the way home. Why not? Why not? You're already all the way there and you can go with your friend who's local there. How fun would that be to see where she goes and eats and hangs out? That was one of my very favorite parts of visiting Tokyo recently was that I've been before but on vacation. And now I was able to see it through my friend's eyes and do what she does in her free time and see all the cool spots that she's found. So it was really, really fun. And if that's a possibility for you, I recommend you do that as well. Have so much fun on your trip and let me know how it goes. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. so much for listening and for calling in with your fantastic questions. You can keep those questions coming in with your calls to 747churros, send us them as a voice note to 747churros, or email it to 747churros at gmail.com. A special thanks to Sam for God on YouTube for her fantastic videos and for helping with responses. Truly, if you are going to Disneyland Paris, uh, run, don't walk. That's the phrase. Run, don't walk to Sam for God's YouTube channel. You can rate, review, and follow Very Amusing on Apple Podcasts and rate and follow us on Spotify. You can also buy Very Amusing merchandise at very-amusing.com. Follow me at Carly Wiesel on everywhere that makes sense to. And join the family at facebook.com slash groups slash Carly Wiesel. This episode was edited faultlessly by Jeff Fox. Happy Thanksgiving! Thanks so much for listening. See you real soon! Hey, sweetheart, it's Mom. Your trip last weekend sounded so great. A Delta riverboat that goes through a hotel. A boat that goes through a hotel? This is crazy to me. But I have the picture to prove it. And Pearlie's eyes were like, what's happening? She was so adorable. Okay. I love the Q&As. I have such a good time with the questions and answers. And I'm sorry it took up so much time. But I am your assistant on these glorious trips. And it helps me to be able to give you some feedback, like from another perspective. So, yeah, I love it. Great episode. I love you, Carly. I love you, Pearly.